Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 114, and today we are talking about books released on July 4th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi there. Are you ready to celebrate freedom and fireworks? <laughs> I can't, I, Maybe not. Like, yay, but oh, just just try being named Liberty on the 4th of oh. July. It's like my least favorite. This and like St. Patrick's Day, like having red hair. They're my yes. Least. Yeah, I never thought about that for you for the 4th of July. But when I have my normal hair color, like I guess natural red hair color, I hate St. Patrick's Day too. Yeah. Um, so I get it. I'm like all a Twitter and a flutter and discombobulated today because I spent all day yesterday reading a book for today's show. And then last night I went to Google some information about it and discovered that the publication date has been changed. <laughs> They're so sneaky. They are. I feel like... I should like magically the publishing gods should know that I have plans for this book and I should receive notice or something. Um, so I have picks today. I'm ready. And I guess I'll just be a little bit ahead of the game for, I think the book now comes out on July 25th. So I'll be a little bit ahead of the game for a show in a couple of weeks, but yeah, that there just, you go. it just set me sideways a little bit. And like, it's Monday morning, but half of the office is on vacation today because it's Canada day and we've got people in Canada who are out and other people on vacation. And it's like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but you and I are here together. Yes. <laughs> here, well, here there's, on the internets together. <laughs> there's some very loud holiday traffic going by my house right now. I live on a very busy road, so you'll probably hear lots of motorcycles and stuff. Well, you should hang out your window and give them sparklers or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Here's some fire to go in your automobile. <laughs> Here's how I feel I about all your noise. <laughs> it's all right. All right. How about as we? As long as there are baby animals in the backyard, that's fine. Your uh, well, now that you've mentioned that, we should shout out Liberty's Instagram is just <laughs> a, a just like a boundless font of cuteness uh, because she has woodchucks and other baby animals in her yard, and it is wonderful. They're amazing. They're so funny. They're like the size of footballs now. They were the size of baked potatoes, but now they're like fuzzy footballs. <laughs> they're so cute. I love it. Did you know that another name for... Um, oh, wait. It's not... Yeah, it is. You have woodchucks. And another name for woodchucks, which are also groundhogs, is Whistle Pig. Yes. You did, you There's actually that? a restaurant here called the Whistle Pig somewhere. 
You were supposed to be surprised. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You said, did you know? And so <laughs> I thought it was a question. Well, recently I informed <laughs> Bob that groundhogs and woodchucks are the same thing because he did not know this and he refuses to believe that it's true. And when I Googled it, it was like also called whistle pig. I was like, well, yes. that is delightful. And I think I could be wrong, but I think gophers and prairie dogs are the, also the same thing. Oh, we'll have to Google that. It's kind that. of like the, the soda tonic pop thing. It like, <laughs> depends on where you live. What you call this rodent. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to something that we do know things about and talk about today's new book releases. <gasps> it's time for the new Alyssa Nutting book. Yay. Woo. So happy. Her new book, Made for Love, is out today. You might recognize her name. She wrote Tampa, the brilliantly disturbing novel a few years ago about a middle school teacher who was really into her students. Um, It's very distressing. It sure is. Amazing. So it can only go up from there, really. Um, and, And this one is quite different. I was trying really hard to think of an analogy, like what, like a, like something similar, and it came to me in the middle of the night. Like, Made for Love is like Lydia Millet and Henry Miller collaborated on a novel with a self-aware Lisa Frank illustration. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I got. <laughs> they it's should put so that on the cover. Bonkers and amazing and just fun. Uh, it's about a young woman named Hazel. Um, she is sort of a disappointment to her parents. She was flunking out of college. She didn't really know, like, what she wanted to do with her life. And she gets this job, um, she goes to interview. It's kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey. She's, like, asked to fill in and go interview, like, this famous billionaire tech giant. And he asks her to marry him, eventually. Um, his name is Byron Gogol, and he is in charge of Gogol Industries. They make all the technological needs that you could possibly want or don't even realize that you want yet. But he literally wants to, like, have everyone completely dependent on his company. And he likes her, or shows interest in her, and so she thinks that she should like him back because he's this billionaire that could have anybody that he wants. And so she gets involved in a relationship with him. They end up getting married. He's turns out to be a super creepy world domination man. Um, you know, they live in this place called The Hub, where it's, like, this compound, and he keeps her there for, like, ten years. She, like, he he questions all of her purchases and her trips and everything that she needs, so she just kind of ends up, like, being, like, really miserable in this life, living in this compound. Um, and she's, like, she doesn't know what else to do, and she keep, people keep thinking, like, she's so lucky she lives with this billionaire, and she's like, I'm so miserable. Um, so it opens with the book... She shows up at her father's doorstep because she has finally decided she's leaving Byron. Like, she signed a prenup. She gets a little bit of money. She doesn't even care about that. Like, she just wants to get away from him because Byron asks her to put a chip in her brain so that he can put one in his brain and they can meld and become one and, like, share thoughts with the chip. Do she's like, yes. Yeah, like, completely nuts. She's like, okay, this is the, the final straw. She's like, and she wants a divorce, and, and he doesn't, you know, she's mentioned that kind of thing before, and he's just like, oh, no, no, no. So she, like, figures she's risking her life by trying to get away from him. She's like, if anybody can find me, if anybody could send, like, a mechanical wasp to sting me on the neck and kill me with poison so nobody knows what happened, it's this guy. She's like, but I can't take it anymore. So she shows up at her father's doorstep. He's living in this, like, senior, seti- uh, senior citizen housing 
um, mobile home park, and she walks in. He has just received a lifelike doll named Diane, who he is going to court. Um, he's very elderly, and, and her mother has passed away, and now he's putting the moves on Diane when she gets there, um, which is probably distressing for everybody to walk into. But, you know, he's like, she's like, can I stay here? And he's like, well, I'm planning on living in bliss with Diane, but, you know, if you want to stay here too, you know, he expects her to, like, treat Diane like she's one of the, like, people that live there and don't have conversations with her and stuff. It's kind of bonkers. Um, but what, you know, so Hazel's kind of resigned herself to the fact that Byron's going to find her and kill her, and she doesn't, like, know what she wants to do, and also she's not really sure that she even cares. So she's hanging out, like, at this mobile home park with her dad, and just, like, you know, Byron eventually turns up. He's not going to just let her go. Um, And it's kind of like what Hazel does and how she gets out from under it, and it's there's this also, like, crazy side story about this con man. He's, like, this good-looking guy sort of a Lothario, he seduces women, like seduces lonely women and get until they give him sizable amounts of money and then he sort of ghosts on them and he that's how he like makes his money and makes his living is by like scamming these women out of money and one day he has this unfortunate encounter with a dolphin in the ocean <laughs> who wants to have relations with him oh and God. it's very upsetting to him but then after this encounter he learns that now he can only become, um, what's the word that I want? He's only uh, physically excited by dolphins now, which has ruined his whole con game because the only thing that does it for him is dolphins, um, which is just insane. So again, like I said, it's crazy. It's weird. It's so much fun. Um, just absolutely brilliant, you know, WTFery, like just so great. It's called Made for Love by Alyssa Nutting. <laughs> I knew that an Alyssa Nutting book would be like, you know, just all the way to the wall bonkers, but yeah, that's like, <laughs> it sounds like it just keeps going. It does. Oh yeah. It's like the ending is really unexpected. It's, it's so great. Uh, all and right. the cover. Oh my goodness. Let's talk about the cover. The for cover like is seconds. excellent. The It's yeah. like a Lisa Frank fever dream. You're right. Yeah. It's like a t-shirt that you'd get like at the beach, you know, in the summer, like a spray painted t-shirt. It's this so airbrushed. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Genius. Um, my first pick this week, real different from that <laughs> one. It's called In the Days of Rain by Rebecca Stott. And this is a memoir slash kind of family history about growing up in and leaving a cult, mainly about leaving a cult. Um, it begins when her father is dying um, and she goes to him and he wants to, her to finish the memoir that he's been writing. She was raised in a cult called the Exclusive Brethren, which still exists today. I think according to her calculations, there are like 40 or 50,000 members of it worldwide. Um, she lived in the UK, grew up like generations of her family were involved in the Brethren and they do what cults do, where uh, it becomes increasingly restrictive around how people can behave, who else they can interact with, the way that life is conducted until ultimately the leaders control kind of everything about you. Um, and her family has been out now for several decades by the time that her father is dying, but he wants to write a book that tells the story of how his family became involved in the Brethren in the first place, what those couple of generations were like, and 
explore how they got out of it as well. But he's dying and he doesn't have, he's not anywhere near finished. So they set out on the project of she will listen to him tell the story. He dies before he's able to tell her too much and he won't talk to her really about the 1960s is when her family got out and he just talks about how terrible the 60s were. It's very traumatic and he just can't bring himself to retell it. So after he passes, she goes and just deeply researches what the history of the brethren is she gets in contact with other people who have gotten out of the cult who have who formed online support groups with each other one of which her father was an integral part of so she's able to reach out to them and hear stories about her dad and she weaves through it the history of this group but also what her early childhood was like, the memories that she has, like going to meeting, as they called going to church, um, multiple times per day, not being allowed to, like one of the cult's rules is that you're not allowed to eat in the presence of non-brethren people. So when she and her siblings go to school, they have to go to a different room to eat their meals. They can't, you know, eat in the cafeteria with the other students. Um, family members are eventually separated from people. Like you can't share a home with a family member who's not a member of the brethren. So like an elderly mother that came that needed to come live with you for healthcare reasons would not actually be able to do that. Families are split apart by it. People are encouraged to like turn on each other and report infractions. There's sort of an internal police force set up within the brethren where they interrogate each other and they punish members by like basically isolating them, locking them away in one room of the house until they've until someone has decided that they've gotten right uh, with the Lord or with following the rules of the church. It is, uh, it's really staggering stuff. Um, And she tells it just very soberly. And then ultimately she tells about what the big sort of rift, the big scandal that caused a rift in the church was in the 60s that led to um, a couple, like I think 10 or 20,000 people ultimately left the church at that moment. That's when her family decided to leave. Like that's when it became clear that the man who was leading the church, who was supposed to be getting his messages straight from God, was not what they all believed him to be. Um, and so they left. Her father became very worldly. He like read Shakespeare and started acting in plays. And she got a great education and um, discovered all of these things that she wasn't allowed to, like they weren't allowed to read secular books growing up until she sneaks into the school library and discovers it and becomes fascinated with Darwin. Um, it's just, you know, I think a really beautiful blend of a personal and family history mixed with the history of this cult. And a lot of, like, I have read a lot of cult memoirs, and many of them have either kind of a lurid element to it of, like, look at this, you know, look at how bad or weird or, you know, whatever disturbing this is. And then others have, I think, often a kind of, like, attempt to shock the reader. Um, And Stott tells it just so straight that the facts speak for themselves, and that's a thing that I really appreciated. She has a lot of empathy um, for the people that she's writing about. She's exploring her family members and getting to understand her family history in a new way, and you can see that sort of unfold on the page that she's like, oh, and then I learned this thing about an experience that my dad or my grandfather had, and it cast this thing I thought about my family into to a new light. It's really wonderful, very thoughtful, kind of, I mean, it's obviously very startling, especially 
the things that she's writing about seem like very old school, very traditional um, beliefs and ways of living that certainly contradict with the modern world. And that's part of the intent. It's hard to imagine people living this way today, but like 50,000 of them are. Um, And she reminds us of that through the text that like there are still people experiencing this. Women aren't allowed to speak in church. Women aren't allowed to be leaders. She, as a kid, is very angry that she's just a girl um, and she's not allowed to have access to the things that the boys and the men have access to. And she's bringing now a modern feminist perspective to it also. It's really wonderful. There's just a lot to chew on. Um, Again, it's called In the Days of Rain by Rebecca Stott. I'm going to read that soon. It's good. I didn't read it because I knew you were going to read it. Oh, yeah. That's like straight from my wheelhouse. I'll do that soon. So would you like to hear about our first sponsor? You know I would. Yay. Our first sponsor is Who is Rich by Matthew Clam. Who is Rich is a warped and exhilarating tale of love and lust, a study in midlife alienation, erotic pleasure, envy, and bitterness in the new Gilded Age that goes far beyond humor and satire to address deeper questions of family, monogamy, the intoxicating beauty of children, and the challenging interdependence of two soulful, sensitive creatures in a confusing domestic alliance. So, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. It sounds really great. I haven't read it yet, but I'm basing... My um, desire to read it on something kind of weird. His sister is Julie Clam. Oh, I was just thinking that. I love her. Yeah. I don't think he would mind that we like also mention his sister. I don't know. My, I, I might if you talked about my brother. But um, she's hilarious. So I can only imagine he is equally as funny. Um, it looks like great fun. So we will have a link to it in the show notes. And we thank Random House for sponsoring. All right. Let's roll on. I'm actually, my next pick is a book that came out a few weeks ago, but I can't stop thinking about it. I just loved it so much, so I wanted to talk about it today. Please do. It's called Marriage of a Thousand Lies by S.J. Sindhu. It's about a young Sri Lankan-American woman named Lucky. She is happily married to Chris. They are happily married because it means that her conservative family will stop asking when she's going to get married. But it's actually a marriage of convenience. Lucky is a lesbian, and Chris is also gay, and he needed a green card, so they got married so that their families would stop asking. They weren't, like, super thrilled that it wasn't an arranged marriage, but they were like, okay, they're married, so obviously, you know, they love each other, and they love the opposite sex, and everything's great. So now they have this great relationship where it opens at a club where, like, Chris and Lucky have gone to, you know, pick up people, and Lucky's kind of heartbroken because she just broke up with her girlfriend, Emily, Um, And she receives news that her childhood best friend, and also her first love, Nisha, has just agreed to an arranged marriage. Like, she hears through her mother that Nisha is getting married. And it sort of brings up all these old forgotten feelings. Um, She gets back in touch with Nisha, and they sort of rekindle their romance. They hang out a lot. You know, it's very hot and heavy, but, you know, neither one of them knows what to do. Lucky feels like she's sort of in a lose-lose situation. She can come out to her parents and say, you know... I'm a lesbian, and, you know, Nisha's a lesbian, and they would lose their family. Um, Or they could, you know, Nisha could go forward with the marriage, and they could, you know, live with having to keep their secrets and have it tear them apart. So she doesn't know what to do. And as the wedding draws closer, they go back and forth on, like, what the best decision is to make. Um, It's just a really magnificent contemporary look at love and family and obligation. And it, the writing is so beautiful, like, it just felt so real. Like, I felt like I was reading a memoir or nonfiction as opposed to 
um, of fiction because the characters just seemed very real. You know, they make bad decisions and they are, you know, temperamental and it just seems so realistic. It reminded me a bit of the miseducation of Cameron Post. Oh, yeah. Like, like that kind of writing um, about her situation is just, it was so great. So again, it's called Marriage of a Thousand Lies by S.J. Sindhu. All right. I'm going to actually, this worked out nicely. I didn't realize that there was a new version of this book coming out. I read part of it or maybe all of it. I don't remember in college. Um, but the third edition is out this week. It's called Thank You for Arguing What Aristotle Lincoln and, Hom- and Homer Simpson Can Teach Us About the Art of Persuasion. It's by Jay Heinrichs. The original came out in, oh, wait, the original came out in 2007. So I didn't read it in college. I've read this. <laughs> Apparently I'm like generating. <laughs> it feels like the kind of thing that I would have read in a class, but I must have just read it on my own. Do you ever like, it's, I think you I've have like, heat stroke maybe. Or, or like implanted book memories or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this is, it's really accessible and fun. A lot of books about, I think, persuasion and argumentation are either like very dry and academic or very like jargony MBA business and you're like, are any of those words and does any of this actually work? Um, And thank you for arguing walks the line very nicely of being like accessible and fun and funny. And he pulls examples that are highbrow like Cicero and goes back to like, these are, you know, classical writers and classical speakers. Here's how they persuaded people up to Bart Simpson. Um, And it doesn't really get, I think, you know, any more modern or perceived to be like lowbrow than Bart Simpson. This is especially timely. I was flipping through the new edition uh, because it showed up on my doorstep last week. It addresses politicians' use of coded language um, and how they are using coded language or often do use coded language to, I guess, like the term we're using now is be a dog whistle, but to appeal to certain groups of people in their audience base without actually having to say like the racist phrase or the sexist thing or whatever it is that they're getting after um, and how those sorts of coded uses of coded language developed in persuasion. There's even stuff about Yoda, I remember. Um, So I think, I mean, this is obviously kind of a like nerd corner of my wheelhouse, but I like this kind of stuff. It's great for like the history of language, but I really liked this. Um, Thank you for arguing. Also for like, thinking about how to win arguments in your own life. I, I I would pitch it as like, if you like language and also you like winning, uh, this is a good book for you. And it's, it is, it's just warm and accessible and makes thinking about these kinds of ideas fun, but you're learning something at the same time. And I just like, I think this is one of those cases where there's a reason this book has gone into its third edition and it's that it's relevant and it conveys the information that you want in a way that actually makes it enjoyable to get that information into your brain. It's not too dry or academic. Um, and I wish that I had encountered it in college. I'm just like going to be baffled <laughs> about when I didn't keep a reading log until we started Book Riot. So I have no idea when I read this book. <laughs> so strange. Anyway, uh, you can read it now too. You should put it in your log immediately so that you're not also hallucinating book memories. Um, but it's called Thank You for Arguing by Jay Heinrichs. I should read that. <laughs> and then we I'm can fight terrible. about it. Yeah, I'm terrible at arguing. Like, because it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, they could be like, your name is at liberty. And at the end of it, I'd be like, no, it's not. You're right. Because, like, I'm so bad at arguing. <laughs> 
My I'm always like, okay, whatever. I just want to get back to reading. So yeah, you're, you're right. Fine. <laughs> I'm good at like a prepared argument and the book gets at that too. Like if you're writing a paper or you're preparing to make a case like for the thing that you're going to argue for in a meeting, like it kind of walks through the prepared argument stuff. I'm terrible at arguing by surprise. Like if you catch me by surprise and it's like my emotions start running high, I will lose my ability to be like, yes, but A, B, C, and D are my persuasive reasons. It's like, well, maybe you're a jerk. (laughs) Hello, I would like to have an argument. (laughs) Everything comes back to Monty Python eventually. (laughs) Uh, All right, save me. Now for something completely different. (laughs) More Monty Python references. I just can't stop. Um, My next book, I I just learned about this past weekend. Like somehow I I try to keep up with everything, but this one slipped under my radar. And so I heard about it this weekend. It sounded amazing. And so I read it and I loved it. It's called The Disappearances by Emily Bain Murphy. It's a sort of supernatural historical YA novel. It's about a girl named Ayla Quinn and her little brother Miles. Miles is eight and Ayla is 16. It takes place in the 1940s in Connecticut. Their mother, Juliet, has died and their father is drafted and they have no other family to watch them and he doesn't want to leave them alone. So he sends them to live in their mother's hometown to stay with her mother's childhood BFF, Mrs. Clifton, and her doctor husband and her handsome young son, Will. Um, And so they're like, we don't really have any other choice, so they go to this town called Sterling. Um, They don't really know anything about it. Their mother has not spoken much about it. But right before they leave, she does find some strange things in her mother's bedroom while she's looking for something to take to remember her by. She finds some a book and some clues. Um, and right away when they get to Sterling, they notice sort of odd things. Like when they're bringing in the bags from the car, um, Mrs. Clifton doesn't get wet. Like it's pouring hmm. rain. And she comes in the house and she's completely dry. Then they notice that the flowers have no scent. And they notice there are no mirrors in the house. And after a few days of, like, wondering what's going on and people whispering in closed rooms and behind doors, and she learns of the town's lore. And apparently, every seven years, something in the town disappears. Like, one year it was the scent, and one year it was, um, you know, people's reflections. People can no longer see their reflections, That people that live in this town. Um, And it started the year that... Ayla's mother was born. And so people have sort of blamed, people in the town blame her mother, Juliet, for this. They think that she was the catalyst. And so every seven years, this sort of happens. And they're coming up on the next seventh year. In a few months, they they have only a few months to figure out, like, what's going to happen next. Like, what are they going to lose? What's going to disappear? And, you know, uh, Ayla learns that the council voted against her and her brother coming to the town. And Mrs. Clifton... Um, went ahead and invited her anyway. Like, there's a lot of people that resent them being in the town. It's a little scary. People are a little hostile. They also learn that there are potions to combat the effects of these things. Like, there's a potion that you can, like, throw into the air and it'll bring up someone's reflection. And there's some other things that you can do to, like, make this stuff work for you. You can bring up scents and, you know, but again, this is all, like, secrets that are, like, within the town and no one's allowed to talk about it or you have to be of age to use these potions and all this stuff. And so, you know, she and her brother are looking to get to the bottom of this before the next disappearance. Um, It's, like, Tuck Everlasting feeling-ish with a dash of Harry Potter. You know, like, the potions and the science and stuff. 
It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, again, it's called The Disappearances by Emily Bain Murphy. Nice. Let's see. Oh, it's time for our next sponsor and then my next pick. So we are sponsored again this week by Libby, which is the new app from Overdrive. Those of you who use your libraries and who borrow eBooks are going to be very excited about this because Libby is built for readers to discover and enjoy eBooks and audiobooks from your library. Created by Overdrive, it's inspired by library users, and Libby is designed to get you reading as quickly and seamlessly as possible. If you have been using ebook borrowing from your library and you've been frustrated, you are not alone. So listen to this. Libby is a one-tap reading app. It's just like a good friend, always ready to go. There's one tap to borrow, one tap to read, and one tap to return the book to your library or your bookshelf and then get going on the next one. This is a problem that has needed solving in ebook borrowing for about as long as ebook borrowing has existed for public libraries. Overdrive has been working on it and developed, like the, the Overdrive app has existed, you know, for a while already, but it was not perfect and Overdrive knows that. And so Libby is the next pass by all accounts. This is a huge improvement. Um, I've heard from several Book Riot contributors and Insiders members, and just like now that it's been on some of the podcasts, I'm hearing from random people on Twitter who are like so excited that this is out in the world. So whether you are just like a longtime ebook borrower from your library or you want to get started, this is a great easy way to do it and a good time now that Libby exists. Um, so you can download Libby by going to Meet. That's M E E T dot libbyapp.com or search for it in uh, the Apple Store or whatever the app store on your devices of choice are. Again, it's Libby, L-I-B-B-Y from Overdrive, here to make your ebook borrowing experience smoother. That's pretty awesome. There was someone in my Twitter feed just this morning, like Muppet Arming about how it exists now. So that's great to hear. Okay, my next pick, I'm listening to this on audio right now, but it's out in paperback this week. It's Around the Way Girl, a memoir by Taraji P. Henson. If you are a movie and television fan, you probably know her as Cookie on Empire. She was also in Hidden Figures out last year. She is so accomplished and has had you know many excellent roles. And this is her memoir going back to her childhood, also to her education at Howard University, and how she has clawed her way up in Hollywood. Um, If you know her career at all, just out in pop culture, you know that she does not hold back talking about the difficulty of being a black woman in Hollywood, how few significant roles there are, how few roles there are for women of color that don't revolve around being the help in some way, um, how many just leading roles there are, and she is one of the pioneers of the industry in in today's culture with actresses um, fighting for great meaty, like sink your teeth into the roles that they can perform. She grew up in DC. Um, she had a difficult childhood and she opens up about her life. Beyond that also, she's a single mom how she you know worked through how difficult being a single mom can be and also was able to become an academy award nominated actress a golden globe winner the list of her accomplishments just goes on and on and the book is just so good i love i've said it a million times on this show i love celebrity memoirs on audio because you kind of already feel like you know the person and listening to them tell their own story just adds a layer of enjoyment to it so i would recommend reading this either way, but if you do audiobooks, definitely pick it up on audio. 
she's just a pleasure. I'm, you know, learning so much from the way that she writes about her life and just getting additional insights into really what it's like to be a black woman in Hollywood. I feel like we can't have enough actresses talking about this. And the irony there is that there are so few of them who have been given access to the kind of roles that elevate them to this level of success. And so Taraji P. Henson, like she's just not wasting her opportunity at all. It's, it's fantastic. Um, So the book again is called Around the Way Girl. It's a memoir by Taraji P. Henson. It's out in paperback now, but definitely do that business on audio. Related to that, Oh, uh, this weekend I met two of my bookish internet friends. Oh, IRL. They mm-hmm. these two lovely librarians from Massachusetts. I got to meet them in person, and they were telling me that the Eddie Izzard memoir, which I talked about a couple weeks ago, if you listen to the audio, he goes off script. Like, just, oh, he's he kind of reads his book, but like he just starts rambling and makes jokes and like asks his producer some questions and like looks things up on his phone. And like, it definitely sounds like even if you have the hard copy, like definitely sounds worth listening to an audio. Like I'm seriously considering it. I so. was going to say, is that going to be the thing that finally gets you on audiobooks? Yes, because we, we know I tried. I got Lincoln in the Bardo, but then my CD player was broken. <laughs> um, and I still, I just, I haven't, all I've been doing is reading and, and sleeping, so it's like I haven't had the time to do it yet. Someday I really want to listen to an audiobook. I will. But, but that might be the next one. Can we do a short one. diversion into other audio things? Yeah. Okay. So you talked about Priest Daddy on the show like a month or two ago when it came yeah. out, Patricia Lockwood's memoir about growing up the daughter of a Catholic priest because he's, I think he's like a Lutheran minister and then mm-hmm. he converts to Catholicism and there's a loophole that you can become a priest and you don't have to like give up your family. So she has this really unusual family life and you talked about that. I'm listening to it on audio and it is like, it, it is the best. Does she read it? <laughs> she yourself? reads it. She That's performs awesome. it. And it is like, her family is so strange and the way she tells her life story is just so fun and ridiculous. And she alternates like Jeff and I were talking about it on the book riot show last week, but she alternates like sometimes in the same sentence between like incredibly vulgar and profane. And then also just incredibly beautiful that hearing her perform it is so enjoyable. But the best part is she does these impressions of her family members as she's (laughs) talking about them and her sister in particular, like I'm going to steal Jeff's analogy because I can't come up with a better one, but it's like, did you ever see Nell with Jodie Foster? Yes. Okay. So the way that (laughs) she, the way that she performs her sister's voice, it sounds like if Nell got a role in Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, Oh, yeah. I'm going to say Tay in the win all day. I know. It's so good. It's so good. So if you've been, like, if you've had an eye on pre-staddy, do it, do that on audio too. Um, and I had a, I got my eyebrows waxed earlier or last week and I was talking to my waxer about pre-staddy and she was like, well, let me tell you about the best audio thing I've been listening to recently. And people know about this, but no one ever told me. So I assume that not everyone knows. There's a podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno. Yeah. That oh, you know about this? I have not listened to it. Okay. But yes. Well now I'm just mad that everyone held out on me. <laughs> so like this I'm sorry. This guy who's his parents in their retirement in the UK are like their thing is that they write and self-publish books. And his dad decides in the wake of Fifty Shades of Grey that he's going to write an erotic novel. Cause like how difficult could it be? And you can just self-publish it and make a jillion dollars. So he gets a hold of his dad's erotic novel and it is 
so bad. Like, it's just so, so bad that it's good. And he makes this podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno, where he reads a chapter to his two best friends and they react to it as they go. Um, and each episode is one chapter. And I'm a few chapters in and it is terrible, but it's also hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm afraid That's that so people funny. next to me in traffic are like wondering what's going on with me. I'm laughing so hard. Um, so thank you for indulging my, my diversion there. But those are my things to put in your ears recommendations. I only I only know about it because when I when we did our first live show, I was talking about my father, the pornographer, oh, that yeah. memoir. Mm-hmm. And when I was like Googling information about it, like something else came up for that, I think. Maybe that might have, I might have implanted that memory into my brain. <laughs> But I think that's how I heard about it. Yeah, I tweeted about it this week. Like, does everyone know about this? And people were like, yes, everyone knows about this. And I was like, well, then why did no one tell me? Have you heard about this thing called the internet? It's all the buzz. (laughs) Apparently, it's just a series of of tubes. Do you want to hear about my last book? I do. Okay. Unless you want, do you want to tell me something else? No, that's all I got. Okay. It was good. I liked it. Thanks. Okay. Okay. My last pick. Got lots of buzz. I really enjoyed it. It's called South Pole Station by Ashley Shelby. It's a fun, smart debut about a struggling visual artist who applies for the National Science Foundation's Artists and Writers Program in glorious, sunny Antarctica. So, yes, she decides she's going to go to the bottom of the globe to work on her art. Um, Her name is Cooper. And she was a child prodigy. Like, she was discovered, her paintings were discovered on the wall, like, in a classroom, and she was in New York Magazine, and she sort of peaked then and hasn't really done much since then, and now she's, you know, a young woman, and uh, not only is she having trouble with her art, but she was very close with her brother who has committed suicide, and she's just flailing, like, her life is falling apart. She decides she's going to apply for this this program. Um, she goes and she has to answer 500 questions about, you know, do you like this or that? Would you do this or that? Um, and the questions are not really designed to see if you are stable enough to go stay in the South Pole, uh, but if you are unstable enough to want to live in, you know, negative 54 degree weather where it's dark six straight months out of the year, um, because it takes a special person to be able to live like that. Uh, so the first half of the book is Cooper trying to find her way among the other misfits. You know, there's a bunch of scientists, a couple other artists, you know, novelists and a biographer. Um, and then the, you know, ragtag team of employees that staff, like, the kitchen and, you know, cleaning and all this. Um, it's almost like a literal island of misfit toys. Like, all these people have their special quirks. And then it sort of changes up in the second half of the book when a climate change denier arrives in at the station. Um, and people are not happy he is there. The other scientists, you know, basically tell him to go eat a bowl of tricks and... You know, but he's heavily funded by congressmen, so he gets to do whatever he wants. Like, he's there on their dime. Um, and Cooper befriends him because she feels like, she feels bad for him. She feels like he's isolated even more, like, in their isolation. You know, he has no friends. So this friendship sort of results um, in an incident, though, and the government has to step in. It's a whole big kerfluffle. Um, Cooper is left fighting to keep it together, like, when everything else is falling apart which is not what she expected to happen when she decided to go to Antarctica. It's just a a dark comedy of errors. Um, It's the perfect book to read in the summer. Like, they keep talking about how cold it is, and I was like, I almost feel cooler reading this Mm. book. Um, And and I just thought it was really smart and fun. It's a great debut. 
And also, I think I'm the, just the right kind of unstable to go <laughs> live in Antarctica. Like, if I could just go and... Because, like, I could sit and read books in a room. It doesn't really matter, yeah, like, They'd be is. like, miss, it's going to be dark for the next seven years. And you'd be like, that's fine. Can I have a reading lamp? Yeah, that's fine. Um, can we watch the thing in the mess tent? Like, they'd be like, please stop asking for the junk Carpenter movie. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think I could do it. Anyway, again, it's great. It's called South Pole Station by Ashley Shelby. I love that notion of reading cold setting books when it's this hot outside. It works. It's nice. Um, I have a paperback twofer. Two of my books that I really loved last year are out in paperback the, the, bleh, out in paperback today. And it's perfect for the summer season, for being outside, for hiking, which is the thing that I like to do, going to the national parks. Um, and so the two books are The Hour of Land by Terry Tempest Williams and On Trails by Robert Moore. And uh, you have heard about both of these if you listen to this show at all. The Hour of Land is Terry Tempest Williams' celebration of the centennial of the National Park Service, which was in 2016. And her way of doing that is to write sort of a personal history about her experiences in 13 of the national parks and then place it in a larger context of why we have the National Park Service, the sort of evolving thinking about what the national parks are supposed to do for Americans, how we can get more Americans to access the national parks, the role of conservation, which when the book came out last summer was one thing, but in this administration uh, and the threats that the national parks have come under for privatization is a whole other thing. Um, And it's just really gorgeous. Terry Tempest Williams grew up in the American West. She writes about using some of the national parks basically as her family's backyard and the just rich memories and experiences that she had there, how the those set her up to become a person who loves nature and works uh, in conservation and is an activist in that way. And it's just really gorgeous. Her writing is always really gorgeous and it will make you feel things about nature and about what being outside can do for us. And then On Trails by Robert Moore is about trails. And it's one of those great sort of like diverging, discursive, long essays basically about um, what a trail is. Like, how is a trail different from a path? Um, What are some of the famous trails? What does it mean when you're on a trail, when you lose the trail? And he mixes in philosophy with um, bits of memoir about his own experiences hiking and being on trails all over the world. Um, It's really interesting. It went a lot of places that I didn't expect a book to go. It kind of reminded me of... um, Oh, we, I think you mentioned it last week, but Remembering the Ghost by um, Matthew Preparing Gavin. Preparing the Ghost. Preparing the Ghost. Yeah. I was almost there. Yeah. <laughs> um, by Matthew Gavin Frank, which that book is ostensibly about, um, is it octopus or squid? Man, squid. I can It's squid. It's ostensibly about catching no, the I giant squid <laughs> and like these big creatures at the bottom of the ocean, but it goes into a bunch of uh, really interesting diversions and on trails does that um, really nicely as well. If you're going hiking this summer, I think on trails is a great thing to be reading while you're like in your tent at night and you're thinking about like, why am I out here and what does it do for us? Like we, you can read the Florence Williams book about being out in nature. That's the nature fix and like the neurology of what nature does for us. But on trails is really like, what are we seeking to feel when we go out on a trail and when we're hiking. And it's really wonderful. So that's The Hour of Land by Terry Tempest Williams and On Trails by Robert Moore, both of which are out in paperback today. And I think that's maybe the most serendipitous like double paperback thing I've seen in a while. It is. It's true how 
unusual it is that they're both out today. Yeah, they didn't. I don't think they came out on the same day last year. No, I think On Trails came out quite a bit sooner. Yeah, or later, just, earlier. I don't uh, know. <laughs> time is a flat circle. It is. <laughs> But it does make a lot of sense for them to be together. Okay, we made it through this week's new releases. What are you going to read next? I am so excited. I cannot be more excited if I swallowed a cat and broke out in kittens. I have the new Catherine Valente book. (gasps) You love her. The Glass Town Game. And I had heard that it was coming out, and I was really excited, and I thought I had heard, like, it was Bronte-esque, like, it was, like, harkened back to the Brontes, but it literally stars the four Brontes, like, when they're children. It's an adventure that they go on. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So, I don't know much about the Brontes. I mean, I've read Jane Eyre, that's about it, but, um, so, but she's a genius. Everything she writes is miraculous and amazing and sparkly, and I love it so much, so... It's going to be awesome. What are you going to read next? I'm going to read Thanks, Obama, My Hopey Changey White House Years by David Litt. Uh, It comes (laughs) out in September, and David Litt was one of Obama's speechwriters from 2011 to 2016. He was 24 when he got the job. (laughs) Isn't that? It's wild. Like, can you imagine being 24 and being, like, good enough at anything to do that thing for the president? (laughs) It's just, like... I can't fathom it. Um, So this is about his experiences being Obama's speechwriter and also being one of the youngest people to ever hold that job. He wrote four of the White House correspondence dinner speeches that Obama gave. And I'm kind of hoping that this will be like a companion to um, Who Thought This Was a Good Idea by Alyssa Mastromonaco, which was also about a really young person holding a really big, important job um, in the Obama White House. It's like I said, it doesn't come out until September, but I can't wait to read it because I just think I need like a fun thing right now and seems appropriate for Fourth of July um, weekend. So that's going to be my pick. Can I tell you something not really related at all? Just something that I remembered the of other course. day. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to figure out when I spoke, I was recording all the backlist, which is mm-hmm. so much fun and it's going great. But I was trying to figure out like what episode of all the books, I talked about this one book, so I googled, like, Liberty Hardy and all the books, and at the bottom of, like, the Google search page, it'll show you, like, related search terms, and, like, the next uh-huh. one is, like, Liberty Hardy, Rebecca Shinsky, because, of course, right? That's cool. Right. But the next one is Liberty Hardy age, and I was like, that's so awesome, like, are people, like, she's so immature, how old can this woman possibly <laughs> really be? Just for fun, I googled your name, and Rebecca Shinsky age does not come up, so... <laughs> I'm just so immature that people need to know, and I love it. It makes me, it made my day. I was so happy. Because the alternative is that I look so old, they they don't know how old I am. I wonder what my related search terms are. They're they're all, like, you know, book-related, except that was just, like, stood out, and I was, like, showing my boyfriend, I was like, look at this. (laughs) Maybe it's because you're just so awesome, and they can't fathom how you got that awesome if they think that you're, like, 22. (laughs) I am, yeah, like, aged... (laughs) Like, a cheese. <laughs> I don't know. That is the end of this episode. Yes, we're done. Thank you to our sponsors, Book of the Month. Go to bookofthemonth.com slash all the books to get your first book for $10. Who is Rich by Matthew Clam and Libby from Overdrive. Don't forget to check that out online. You can also click the link in the show notes or find it in your device's app store of choice. It's L-I-B-B-Y. If you have a message for us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. 
I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. And if you've got a minute, you want to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, that would be a great gift for us. We appreciate it so, so much, and it helps new folks find their way to the show. And if you haven't heard yet or had a chance to listen, Book Riot has a new podcast out called Annotated that is audio documentary series about books, reading, and language. I am lucky to ride shotgun with Jeff O'Neill on that. The first episode is about 1984 and sort of how it became a bestseller again in 2017, but also some deep history on how it became what it was in the first place. And spoiler, the CIA was involved. It's really good. So we were reading the script. Thank you. We were reading the script and I was like, is that true? And no, There's... it's it's so it sounds like this American life, like with books, like I like you guys talk, and it's so good, so good. Ah, thanks, Lib. So other things, yes. As much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com/slash/all-the-books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.